Hey everyone, welcome to Huron Chapel. We're so glad you could join us for this message series, Paul's Powerful Progressive Plan. Life is full of choices, and every choice you make will either take you in the progressive life-giving direction God has planned for you, or rob you of the opportunity to know the full life God intends for you to live. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and please share this podcast with your friends. So grateful for that. Well, we're in a series called Paul's Powerful Progressive Plan. And Paul, that's referring to the Apostle Paul, who God used more than any other author in the New Testament to write the New Testament. So God uh, really believes in Paul, has a plan for Paul. He was arguably the greatest theologian, missionary, church planner in church history. And it talks about the plan because the plan is a series of decisions that you need to make. It's not just to hear, but what must they do with what I'm hearing that Paul is sharing uh, in God's Word. And it's, and it's also called powerful because they are decisions from God's Word. These aren't just my ideas or best-selling author's ideas. These come from God's Word, and God puts them there so that you would know and apply them to your life, that your life would be even better. I just believe that's what God's plan is for you. He wants to give you a full abundant, eternal life. And it's called progressive because it does call us to move forward. It does call us to grow in Christ, grow in our relationship with Him, grow in our character and every other part that we have. And so last week we began the series by uh, a choice, because every week we'll have a choice, regarding how we need to accept, receive, and follow in God's forgiveness for our life. Because we cannot move forward in the freedom that God would have for us Until we look back and say, God, deal with the sins of my past. Release me from these chains of bondage. Forgive my sins. And that's what Paul was saying. Forgetting what is behind, I can now move forward. In fact, that was the points of last week's sermon. He said, I focus. I focus on this one thing. Forgetting what's behind. And we talked about some of his sins. And when that's forgiven, now I can move forward in my life. So and we could say the first choice of accepting Receiving, following God's forgiveness would be a matter of the heart. Uh, the, today's choice that we're going to be looking at and being asked to make um, is a matter of the mind. What happens up here? What and how we think. Rick Warren once said, God is more interested in changing your mind, how you see things in your life, before changing the circumstances in your life. And you have your sermon notes, you can fill in those blanks. Why? Because my thoughts control my life. Every single action begins with a thought. If you don't think it, you won't do it. Now, that's good or bad. Um, If we think good thoughts, that tends to lead to good actions, and bad thoughts will lead us to participate in bad actions. There are so many aspects of our thought life we could talk about this morning, uh, and we would be here for quite a while. But I thought we'd keep it simple, and we'd focus on one thing like in in the... uh, way that Paul would, and zoom in on the area of our attitude. Because all of us have one. All of us brought an attitude to church. We'll take it back home with us. And we go home. And what we need to know about our attitude, for what others can see, is this. Our attitude is an outward expression of an inward thought. Our attitude is an outward expression of what's happening up here. In our mind. So your attitude reveals to everyone what sort of thoughts you're dwelling on in your mind. Because healthy thoughts, again, in, in the same line, healthy thoughts produce a healthy attitude. Uh, unhealthy thoughts will 
produce an unhealthy attitude. So whether we're talking about your church or the person beside you or even yourself, the way you think about them will directly connect how you will act towards them in your attitude. And, and you know, what we think is powerful. And in case you might think I'm sounding like a, uh, some kind of positive thinking guru, well, listen to what God says to us in his word. Elsewhere in the Bible, God has Paul to write this for us. Throw off your old sinful nature in your former way of life. And, and, that, and that, in fact, talks about what we talked about last week, forgetting what is behind. Throw off your old sinful nature in your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Deception. Instead, let the Spirit, listen to this, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. See, God cares about this. Put your new nature, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, all believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to throw off our formal way of living, forgetting what is behind. And because God has given us a new, better way to live. We are a new creation. Now we are to allow the Holy Spirit, it says here, to renew our thoughts, which will renew our attitude. And the verb in this, uh, the Greek, the Greek verb uh, for put off and put on refers to the fact that you don't take off dirty old clothes and keep changing back into them. You don't take off dirty old clothes, put on new ones, and go back changing into the dirty old ones again. They are forever gone. Your old self is forever gone. You put off. They're out of here. And you put on. And now you say, God, renew my mind, my way of thinking. Elsewhere in the Bible, you know this, Romans 12, 2, says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So God cares about the way you think. It affects, an inward thought affects everything that we do and how we treat people and certainly our attitude. When you become a Christian, it should be so clear and it should be evident to people around you that you are different. That you've put something old and off and it's gone. You put on something new in your life and, and you are a new creation. And the, and the Life Application Bible says, and the change must begin in the mind where all thoughts and actions begin. So our thoughts... What we dwell on play a very crucial role in who we become and what others will see in us. And so in the theme of simplicity, it's a lot we can talk about attitude. In fact, I had how it affects our relationships. I had a, how, what it is. And I just going to zoom in on one point this morning. So we walk away here knowing this one point, and it's this. Your attitude is your choice. I just want you to walk away here today. There's a lot we can say about attitude, but I don't want you to walk away here today and say, my attitude is my choice. This is one point sermon about how we're not helpless when it comes to what kind of attitude I'm going to carry around in my life. Here's what God had Paul write in the Bible. This is our scripture text today. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. I love that. Again, let's focus on it. One final thing. Fix your thoughts. That's another way of saying, choose what you'll think about. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The New International Translation of this passage says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Because what you think affects what happens out here in your life? How you treat others, how others see you, whether people want to be drawn to you or repel from you. We are responsible 
for what we think about. We are responsible for our attitude. And we need to hear that and we need to receive that because we will easily try to blame someone else for a bad attitude. We'll blame circumstances, we'll blame this person, but it's always your choice how you see things. No one can force you to say, this is how you must think. You always have the freedom and the choice to decide what I'm going to dwell on up here. I like this story, I shared it before. Two construction workers sat down to have their lunch. One opened his lunchbox and angrily screamed, I can't believe it, bologna again, I hate bologna sandwiches. The fourth time this week I've had bologna. Why must I have bologna so many times? And I would say he had a bad attitude towards bologna. And his friend tried to settle him down and said, Take it easy, take it easy. Why don't you just tell your wife you don't like bologna sandwiches? Ask her to make something different. And he answered back, What do you mean, my wife? I make my own lunches. <laughs> and the fact is, most of the bologna we have in our lives, we put there. It's our decision. It's our choice. So don't blame others. Don't blame circumstances for what you put in here and allow it to dwell on it. You put a baloney in there, baloney's coming out. Paul says, fix your thoughts because you are the one who's responsible. You have the capacity to choose what you're going to fix your thoughts on. I mentioned briefly before about a man, a psychiatrist named uh, Viktor Frankl. Some of you will know him. Oh, he was a survivor of the Holocaust. Holocaust. He was in one of those Nazi death camps. And, of course, he was stripped of every freedom. We talk about having freedom in Canada, freedom today to worship. He was stripped of every freedom. He lost everything in his life. And where many just gave up and died in that prison camp, uh, Frankel survived. And he credits his survival to one choice he made. And this is it. He, he wrote this. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of our human freedoms is to choose our attitude in any given circumstances. So you get to choose what kind of attitude you're going to carry around with you in your life. A mother and a daughter went, went shopping, and they're in a rush, and the mother had just had a few things at the grocery store and had to get, to get out again. And so she went to the express aisle where it says 12 or less things. There's a guy in front of her that had probably like 47 things. Cashier let him go through, and she's frustrated, rolling her eyes and upset because she wants to get through. She has three things. It says 12 or less, and this guy's got like 47 things. And, of course, there's price checks to be done. It's taking a long time. By the time she gets there, she's upset. She's frustrated. She kind of nasty to the cashier. Cashier kind of, you know, says, well, you know, I'm sorry, blah, 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 blah. And then the, the mother's upset. She walks out of the grocery store and says to her daughter, that cashier, she gave me a bad attitude. And the daughter, who's probably wiser than her mother, said, no, Mom, you chose that attitude. She didn't give it to you. You chose to have it. You choose your attitude. At some point in your life, it's going to become real relevant, real fast, that truth. I, I, I don't mind being transparent. I'd be very honest with you. I tend to think that, as an example, um, traffic jams give me a bad attitude. But they don't. As difficult as it is for me to confess and admit my, oh, I see my wife's back there too, so she's going to hold me accountable to this. <laughs> my frustration with traffic comes from how I respond to it. The truth is, I have a choice. Traffic doesn't control the way I feel. I choose the way I feel. I can't blame traffic for my actions. We try, oh, we try to justify and excuse our bad attitude by saying, oh, that person just knows how to push my buttons. And then I can't help it, it just explodes. People 
and circumstances may push your buttons, but remember, they are your buttons. You are responsible for them. So I need to remember when I'm caught in 401 traffic, or I'm waiting two hours past my scheduled doctor's appointment for the third time in a row. Sorry, Dr. Gerd. That, that was in your office. <laughs> I, I'm, I have to understand, what is my reaction coming from? What is happening inside me? Why do I feel this way? What, and, and, and just be able to understand this. i got to control how I respond to circumstances. In fact, I, well, I wasn't going to share this, but my, lab, my daughter is in a, a, we were a couple hours waiting for this doctor. And I'm getting frustrated. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm getting frustrated. She could tell I was getting frustrated. I'm talking out loud and people can hear me. And she said to me, Dad, you don't have to go and see the doctor with me. And I go in. And I knew what she meant. She was afraid. I said, why? You got afraid you're going to complain to him. Because <laughs> I thought that was a wake-up call to me. I don't want my daughter to feel like she's worried about me going in to the doctors because I'm getting so frustrated. Your, bush, your buttons are pushing. They're pushed hard, but they're your buttons. You have a responsibility how others will see you, how you respond to them, no matter how hard they push. I had a fellow um, come to fix something in our house, and it was a company that dropped the ball for us many times. We've gone to them and say, will you come? And they came, they didn't follow up on it, and didn't follow up on it. I'm being frustrated. I drove all the way there to the company, went to the office. It was very nice. Said, Can we get this done? Can you do this? You said you would do this. And eventually they sent the guy to my house, and his name was Mark. And I was tempted to be frustrated, to show him, him my frustration for how his company dropped the ball, how they were so lax, how they had failed so many times. And I just wanted to know how upset I was. And I just said, no, Mark, you can't do that. you got to control your attitude. And so he came in. I was so nice. And his, his name was Mark. My name was Mark. And we talked. And I smiled. I was thankful for him being there. And then he said to me, aren't you the pastor here in chapel? I went, yeah. How do you know that? I don't know you. Well, my kids go to VBS and I see you there. I thought, aren't I glad? Aren't I glad that I responded in a way that God would have me to respond? Let that be a wake-up call for us um, Christians in our community. God is more interested in changing your mind, how you think, how you see things in life, before changing the circumstances in your life. Because what you choose to think on, what you choose to dwell on, will affect what happens around you. It will affect your marriage. It will affect your family. It will affect your church. It will affect your workplace. Paul, he chose to rejoice. <laughs> I mean, regardless of what people had done to him, regardless of his circumstances, he said, he chose, I will rejoice. I will have joy. And I can tell you in the book of Philippians how many times Paul chooses joy, and you probably would believe me and say that's nice, but I thought we'd take a couple of moments just to read some of the lines in the book of Philippians where Paul says, I choose joy, I choose to rejoice. And so let's just read these. Uh, Philippians 1.4, I make my request for all of you with joy. 1.18, Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I'll continue to rejoice. 2.14, do everything, here's a hard one, do everything without complaining or arguing. 2.17, but I will rejoice, and I want all of you to share that joy. 3.1, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, whatever circumstances, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Philippians 4.4, 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Philippians uh, 4.10, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. 4.11, for I've learned how to be content whatever I have. 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And it would seem like the Apostle Paul is a spokesperson for the Mr. Joy organization. 
Things must be going well for him that he can respond rejoicing this way. But when we go to Philippians 1.13, at the beginning of this letter of this book, we read this. For everyone here, Paul says, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And we suddenly realize Paul's in prison when he's writing this. He's writing in circumstances where he's arrested for preaching the gospel, he's in prison, and yet he's writing to a church saying, Choose joy. I rejoice. I rejoice for you. I rejoice always. I rejoice in every circumstance. No matter what happens, I am rejoicing. That's my attitude. Chuck Swindoll once wrote this. It's in your notes as well. Attitude, to me, is more more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitude. So please don't blame someone else. I think airports are one of those places where we are challenged to have a good attitude. In the summer, you know I like to have fun sometimes, and so I'm going to do that today. I want to I listen to a story. It's about six minutes long from John Maxwell. It was a story I heard... 17 years ago that really started impacting me and challenging me in my attitude. I want you to hear this and listen to this and hope that will, I think I played once before, but here, I hope it will influence you as you think about your attitude and the choices you can make regarding the circumstances. Let's listen to this story. <laughs> your attitude will determine your approach on life. Let me give you a classic example. It just happened to me a few months ago. In fact, it happened to me last November. I was on the East Coast speaking to four or five hundred pastors, and I was leaving Charlotte, and I was going to Indianapolis to speak at the praise gathering last year with the Gaithers. And as I was in Charlotte, I was talking on the phone to somebody, and I rushed down to the gate just in time to get on the plane, literally about three minutes before the plane was take off. And when I got to my gate, I realized I saw all these people there. And I realized they weren't boarding the plane, so I went up to the man behind the desk. I said, what's the problem? And he looked at me, and he said, we can't leave yet. The flight attendants are not here. Now, I turned around and I looked at, I don't know, 50 or 60 very disgruntled, discouraged, despondent people. Now, it was 9.30 at night. They were tired. They probably had a hard day. But I'm telling you, they had a heavy load on their face. And I looked at them and I thought, you know, somebody needs to help them with their attitude. So I said, may I have your attention, please? The man behind the desk tells us we cannot leave, yet for a while the flight attendants are not here. Now, personally, I, the pilots are on board. As far as I'm concerned, I vote to go without the flight attendants. How many of you would agree, let's get on the plane now? How many of you would agree to go now without the flight attendants? Everybody raised their hand. <laughs> After scratching their head, wondering what I was doing up there, except one man. He didn't raise his hand. I looked. I said, sir, what's your problem? Don't you want to go? He said, well, yes, but he said, I like my peanuts. <laughs> I said, sir, I said, sir, if I promise you, if you get on this plane, I'll serve you. I'll be the flight attendant. If I promise to give you peanuts, will you get on? He said, well, sure. He said, all I want is my peanuts. I said, fine. I went up behind the desk. I told the man, I says, we're ready. Now he had a bad attitude. 
He said something about federal regulations and that wouldn't work and we couldn't do that. And so I looked at people, I said, I guess we can't go. But I said, if you'll just all hang tight, I said, I'll take care of you. I went down two gates and there they had a little, one of these little fast food places where you can pick up a little cafeteria like. I went up and I said, ma'am, could I have 50 Cokes? She said, one. I said, I'd like to have 50 Cokes. We're waiting to get on a plane. It looks like we're going to be stalled a while and I'd like to kind of serve the people before they get on the plane. She said, you're kidding. I said, no, no, I'm not kidding at all. 50 Cokes, please. She said, you're going to take those 50 Cokes and give them to those people that are waiting? I said, sure I am. And she said, could I help? I said, sure could. We went down. I said, may I have your attention? I said, now I have a Coke for everybody here. If you'll just, as I pass, she'll give you a napkin. Her name was Denise, too. I said, Denise will give you a napkin. And I, we went through, and we gave everybody a Coke. Now, I've done this about five or six people. And all of a sudden, you should have seen the change in their attitude. They're looking at each other. Now, we're starting to become community. <laughs> We're starting to know each other on a first name basis. They know my name is John. I served him 50 cokes of flight. And, and, and then he said, the man who was behind the desk, he didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> and finally he said, the flight attendants are in the airport. They're not here yet. But listen, get on the plane anyway. <laughs> I told the people, I said, we can get on the plane anyway. And so they got on the plane. And when I got on, right there by the co-pilot was kind of there, in the, right where the trays and stuff are. And I saw this basket of granola bars. It was on a U.S. air flight. And if you've ever been on one of those, you know those baskets they have. And I looked, I said, could I go ahead and serve the people? Well, I said, why not? I said, well, sure, that's what I say. I took that basket and I started going down, you know, and, and passing out the goodies. I got to the guy who wanted peanuts. I gave him two bags of peanuts. Whole lot of wonderful time we had. I served everybody on the plane. I sat down, and about that time, the flight attendants very hurriedly come on the plane, and they're all, they're all saying, oh, we're so sorry, we're late, and we'll do our best to take good care of you. And they're going, trying to put everybody at ease and apologize. And everybody's sitting there. They got their Diet Coke. They got their granola bar. And they're telling those flight attendants, mellow out, relax, sit down. We're already being served. We got a guy that's taking care of us. And they said, what do you mean? We're the flight attendants. They said, that guy right up there, he's taking care of us. Go talk to John. They came up to see me. I said, oh, just sit down. Everything's taken care of. So they were kind of tired, and they were all getting kind of silly, too. And so that you know how they get on the PAs. You're taxiing out, and they tell you, you know, you know buckle up and all that stuff. And as they're giving, after they give all those regulations, I said, would it be all right if I, I talked to the people for a moment? <laughs> they said, sure, why not? They handed me that PA system. I said, now, this is your flight attendant, John. You just buckle up. I said, we're going to get you in the air. And as soon as we get in the air, I said, we've already found out these flight attendants are not dependable, but I'll take care of you. You just relax. We'll make sure everything is fine. And they broke out into applause, and up in the air we went. We got up in the air. Now we're going towards Indianapolis. And one of the flight attendants came up to me and said, is your name really John Maxwell? Yes, and it is. And she said, well, there are many people that are wanting to write U.S. Air and say it's the most fun flight that they've ever been on. And they're wanting to give you credit. And then about that time, over the PA system, one of the flight attendants said, and we're going to serve because we were late. And because of Mr. Maxwell, we're going to serve free drinks to the whole plane. That's at this time, I look at Dick Peterson and said, oh, I hope they don't find out I'm a preacher. <laughs> finally landed. Some businessman right across the aisle, he couldn't stand it anymore. 
He stuck out his hand and says, my name is Bob. What's your name? My name's John Maxwell. He said, I have never seen anything like this before in my life. He says, you have an incredible attitude. We landed, and they got on the, on the little PA system again, and they you know, told them all the things, have a good time in Indianapolis. And when they were done, I said, could I, could I talk to my people one more time? <laughs> they handed it to me, and I said, folks, I'm so glad you were on this plane. I said, we had a wonderful time, didn't we? And listen, folks, listen, your baggage maybe didn't make it, so I'll be down in the baggage section. <laughs> I'll see you there, and if there's any problem, let me know, and I'll call a cab and charge it to U.S. Air. I got off that plane. They gave me a standing ovation. Somebody from the Gaithers was supposed to pick me up. Now, we got off the plane kind of quick, and he was reading a newspaper, and he didn't see me. Now, as we're going down the hall, this guy, remember the guy who wanted two bags of peanuts? He came running up to me. He had a big bag of grapefruit. He said, I fly all the time. He said, I've never seen anything like this. And he said, I don't have any peanuts. But he said, would you just take a grapefruit? Thanks so much for everything you've done. I said, sure. I said, where are you from? From Florida? He said, sure am. I said, my brother and sister-in-law live in Winter Haven. He said, well, that's where I live. I said, do you know? And he said, John Maxwell, Larry and Anita Maxwell. He said, I'm on a board with them. He gave his wife the grapefruit and said, I'm going to call them now. He said, they won't believe what I just saw. He got on the phone. We went down the baggage section. I looked at Dick Peterson, who travels with me and runs the Enjoy Ministry. I said, Dick, I wonder where the representative is to pick me up. And about that time, about 50 people brought the guy to me. Here's the story. We got off. He didn't see us. After a moment, he realized that plane was unloading, and so he started watching. He didn't see us. You know how people travel in groups together? He ran down the hall, and he said, excuse me, folks. He said, does anybody know a John Maxwell? They turned around and said, we all know John Maxwell. He served us on the plane. No, no, he said, he's not a flight attendant. He's a speaker. That's what we mean. We'll take him to him. He's in the baggage section, and off they took me. Man, I love that story because I want to be like that. I'm inspired to be like that, to take what could be a miserable situation, but just not just because of my attitude, change the attitudes of others, take something that's miserable, make it great, rejoice, be thankful. And, I, you know, that attitude is just contagious. I really believe it is. I want to be that kind of guy that, you know, and this can be difficult. Let's be honest. It is a difficult decision. It's so easy for us to fall in the wide rut of misery instead of choosing to say, no, I am going to rise above that and choose joy. And you've got to start thinking, to start feeling, and start expressing that joy. Pastor Ernest read for us earlier where God said through Paul, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And God would not tell you to do something if you did not have the capacity to do it. God would not tell you to have the kind of attitude that Jesus had if you could not have or make that choice to do so. So I just want us to finish by asking this question. Ask yourself this question. Where do my thoughts live? Where do my thoughts live? Where am I allowing my thoughts to dwell and fixate. This week in my devotional, I, it was great because this passage just happened to be part of, of my devotional. I thought, well, bonus. And this is what it said about this scripture text that we looked at today, what God is saying. You know, fix your thoughts on what is true. And my devotional said this, think truth. Don't entertain thoughts you know to be false. Stick to the facts, especially those outlined in scripture. I was sharing with a young person in my office this week about how young people sometimes believe they, they lie to the enemy, that they're, they're worthless, they, they're, there's something wrong with them, they're not good. And I said, no, go to Ephesians 2.10. 
and understand what God says about you, where it says you are God's masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable. Said my devotional, contemplate what is worthy. Honorable means worthy in character. I love this. Possessing spiritual significance. You know, fix your thoughts on what is possesses spiritual significance. Conversely, don't entertain thoughts that are dishonorable to the Lord. So, a good question to ask myself. I'm not sure if what I'm saying, what I'm doing, is, is what God would have me to do. Well, just say, would this, does this bring glory to God? Does my conversation bring glory to God? Does this what I'm doing bring glory to God? That's a good way to tell if we're fixing our thoughts on what is honorable to Him. Fix your thoughts on what is admirable. Is another one that says, admirable is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It describes, it says, my devotional, which is well spoken of, or good report. The antonym of this is, the opposite is commendable. Of commendable is reprehensible. So that may, you know, you're mulling over disgraceful things, scandalous things, allowing them to um, just fill your mind and take up your time. And then finally, think about things that are worthy of praise. The final phrase it says in Paul's list isn't encouraging us to think about what gets attention from culture. Instead, what the phrase worthy of praise means in the original language is that which gains recognition as appropriate because it relates to God's will. So just as you leave here today, because you're, you're going you're to face this right away, even before you leave the building, my attitude is my choice. What I think about, I get to choose what I think about, so I get to choose my attitude. So I want you to pray, Lord, just I want my thoughts to align to your word. I want to think about the things that not only please you, but usher in peace, in your peace, in my church, in my family, in my home, in my marriage, in my workplace. Help me to take my thoughts captive, replacing unhealthy, unholy thoughts with what is right and honorable and righteous and praiseworthy. You can do that. And, you, and, and it's a choice you can make today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to you to give you a window into our church, but also an open doorway for you to enter into our community. Our Sunday service from June to September is at 10 a.m. And we welcome you to join us as we love like Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. Please remember to visit HuronChapel.com and like this podcast to let others know about Paul's powerful progressive plan.